All right. Hey, everybody. We're doing over and unders on Suez Canal stop supply chain blockages. No, just kidding. Uh, welcome to the backstage. Uh, we're in the green room and uh, we're going to do some quick introductions with our awesome guests today. We're going to go reverse order. Um, I'm Ray Wong with Constellation Research, awesome co host, Vala Ashra, and of course, producer L. So, and uh, John, where are you calling in from today? And what are we going to be talking about? Uh, Palo Alto, California, the future of the internet, media, disinformation, anything we guys want to talk about, I'm happy to talk about. And I got about Clubhouse on my favorite app that's kind of going in the toilet. But I mean, if some people say, we'll see about that. And all me anything media I love talking about. Very, very cool. All right, Celia. Oh, so no, Makita, where are you calling in from? And uh, what are we talking about? I'm calling from my home in Pacifica, California. Motherfucking John. <laughs> Excellent. And Celia, where are we calling from? What are we talking about? I'm calling in from Atlanta, Georgia, so a little further away. And we're going to talk about customer engagement and some research we did recently. Excellent. Really, really welcome. Well, hey, folks, thank you so much. We're going to start the show soon. Elle's going to do the countdown. Thank you to our sponsors, Robots and Pencils. And of course, <laughs> uh, we're going to do the countdown. How are you? Elle? Okay. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research. He is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business, and later this year, he's coming out with his new book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray's a regular television, business, and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Cheddar. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Afshar. He's a keynote speaker. He's a confidant to CEOs, CXOs, CMOs, um, and CIOs around the world. And people follow him on Twitter for inspirational quotes. He's an author himself, but more importantly, he's my awesome co-host and, of course, co-founder of Disrupt TV. So, But it's not about us. It's always about our wonderful guests and today. Who do we have to kick it off? It's our pleasure to kick off the show with uh, Celia Flashaker, CMO of Verant. Celia has more than 20 years of enterprise software marketing experience and currently serves as the chief marketing officer for Verant. Verant helps the world's most iconic brands build enduring customer relationships by connecting work, data, experiences across the enterprise. Celia is responsible for developing and executing brand and the marketing strategy to build Marin's success as a leading provider of customer engagement for thousands of organizations around the globe, including 85% of the Fortune 100. Prior to her post at Marin, uh, Celia served as Chief Marketing Officer for Pros and Chief Marketing Officer and Executive President for Epicor Software Corporation. You can follow Celia on Twitter at C-F-L-E-I-S-C-H-A-N. K-E-R. Welcome back, Celia, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Paula. Thanks, Ray. It's great to be back. I appreciate it. You were with us episode 127 Hello. in 2018, and we're at 230, <laughs> episode 230. So welcome back. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. And guess what? You 
you did something crazy. You moved. You actually know you changed a job. You moved all in the middle of a pandemic. You spun off a security division while you're at it, and I don't know. You launched some other global major research study. So what's been going on, right? So not, they get catch up. You know, there's there's a lot of enterprise CMOs out there. You're one of those uh, really pioneering what's going on. But tell us what's happening, and you know, tell us more about your new role. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it I. Maybe some questionable decisions, right? In terms of a lot going on in the pandemic, in terms of a move and things. But one one thing I don't question is is the move to Varen. It's been really exciting to join the company. At, at what you said, such a pivotal time. So we um, just in the last couple of months spun off as a pure play customer engagement company. And wow. Yeah, you know, we've been a leader in the space for some time and 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 that's that's fun to always join in with a leader, but to join in with a company who is going through the spin-off has an opportunity to really redefine itself and um, drive a new message to the market, how we engage with our own customers. It was really um it was exciting. One of the most um the things I, I like the most coming on board was was as part of that spin, we did a lot of work understanding our customer stories. And and especially when you think about the last year and what went on with customer engagement and how uh, dynamic we'll say it was uh, during a pandemic, talking with customers like a, a MasterCard who basically is, they've been a partner with Verant for a long time, but in the last year when they were looking at just overnight rolling all their call centers, all their people to an at-home situation wow. and, and how that partnership happened. It was, it's great. And so, yes, you know, crazy over the last six months, but so much fun. And I think one of the things that I'll just say made it easier um, was the welcome that I got at Varent. Amazing group of people. The culture there has been terrific and just really made that onboarding process and that move to a new company much easier than it normally would have been. That's awesome. That's really great. Yeah. Uh, Celia, last week we had Raja Raja Manar, CMO of MasterCard, on our show. <laughs> and uh, as you know, he just launched his new book, Quantum Marketing. And he said there's an existential crisis in marketing because there's so many uh, levers of success that chief marketing officers need to think about, uh, putting the art into the science and the science into the art of marketing, being able to map marketing campaigns to business outcomes, and then dealing with this incredible um, impact of technology and decentralization and digital first mindset. Uh, we also had the CMO of uh, Publicist Sapient and CMO of Data.org all last week. So you're our fourth CMO in a row. And the common theme with Roger and the other CMOs uh, was uh, the importance of customer engagement. They all talked about it. Uh, what excites you? What was that gravitational pull that brought you to Verant, uh, knowing that you know the company is at the epicenter of trying to improve customer engagement? As I said, for eighty percent of the Fortune one hundred, so you're working with the biggest companies in the world, and all of them have customer engagement uh, top as their top of mind. Yeah, it, it is fun, right? As a marketer, you, you more and more a CMO's gotten pulled into this area of customer engagement and customer experience. So that's exciting. But then to join a company that's dead center focused on how helping people engage with their customers better was was really cool. And that was that was the pull to Varent. Um, and and one of the things I think that is so 
exciting about engagement is if you think about variant started in the call center and that's where a lot of engagement was happening but in the last couple of years customer engagements become it's a whole company initiative which i love so it's not just helping them in companies with technology in a call center, it's how are you engaging on digital? What are you doing on social? What are you doing um, in your stores, in your branches? And, and the trick is threading the needle across all those areas of your organization, connecting the work that's happening, the data that you're collecting, the experience that a customer is having across all of those to make it seamless and to, to really engage at a deeper level. And, and we can do that today with technology. And that, that's, a, that's a fun space to be in. And with Verant, one of the first things we did, we know a lot about customer engagement, but I'm, you know, I'm not gonna say we know everything. So we went out and we researched. We talked to, um, through a survey, over 2000 business professionals, 12 countries and, and asked them, what are you seeing? What are your challenges? And and where are you investing? How are you you dealing with all the dynamics of customer engagement? That's great. I'd love to hear more about the research. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let's definitely talk more about the research. I mean, you're, you're talking about engagement in an always-on era. Let's let's start there. So, engage. I mean, that's the key, right? One of the things that we were seeing, and and you hear us talk about it at Verant, is this engagement capacity gap, and it's something that's really plaguing most companies. It, the environment today, we've got interactions kind of skyrocketing. You've got all these channels that are uh, you have to engage across. You've got rising customer expectations, always rising. And at the yes. same time, you think about your workforce and your workforces. Uh, a lot of companies aren't hiring a lot, so it's pretty flat. And you're, you're dealing with a, a shifting dynamic from a generational perspective and how they want to engage with a customer. And so it's this natural tension of rising customer expectations and uh, the, the number of interactions with a, with, a, which a, with a relatively flat set of resources and budget, and it creates a gap. And we call it the engagement capacity gap. And the pandemic made it worse. It's widening because, because of all the things that happened. And so from the survey, what we heard from people which wasn't surprising, it was like, yeah, it's been a challenging year. But what, what I was surprised with was they came back and they said a couple things. They said, one, over 80% said, we think 2021 is gonna be more challenging, which I had kind of thought, you know, what's gonna top 2020? But most companies came back and said, we think it's gonna be harder in 2021. And the reason they were saying that is a large number, I think 75% or so, they, they put off hiring about a yep. third eliminated investment in customer technology. Um, and so as a result, it, it just made things worse. And, and so when we asked them about investment, because we really wanted to understand, well, how are you gonna get yourself out of that? You had some companies, I think about half said, you know, we are gonna start to hire again, which is great to hear, but it's not something you hire your way out of you have to use technology and nearly 90 percent said that they, they said you know what we're planning to invest this year in customer engagement technology in customer experience technology because we know that's how it's going to get better it's technology is how you're going to do that 
Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. A few weeks ago, we had Martin Lindstrom, author of The Ministry of Common Sense. Time Magazine named him one of the 100 most influential uh, people in the world as a branding expert. And he told Ray and I, ultimately, uh, to deliver common sense and, and create a beautiful experience and to ensure stakeholder success, you just need more empathy. Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty common sense. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, you know, marketeers, uh, folks that are championing brand and folks that are really deeply engaged in improving customer engagement, need to really approach uh, this work with a purposeful mindset and a lot of empathy, especially based on what we experienced in 2020 with all the crisis, the health crisis, the economic crisis, racial inequality crisis, mm-hmm. climate crisis. Yeah. So incredibly challenging year. Is there anything uh, about the research that spoke to purpose, core values, empathy in terms of positioning your mindset properly in order to architect a, a beautiful customer engagement experience? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because to create empathy, you have to have understanding and you have to really Mm -hmm. understand the mindset of your customer and what they're going through. And we did, we asked about um, workforce development because what we're seeing increasingly and you hear it is the employee experience is, is more closely linked to the customer experience. So how do you give the employees the tools and what they need to better serve your customers and and both people end up in a better place um and and so what we're seeing happen is, or w- when we ask you like how are you going to develop your workforce the number one thing they said is we want to give them better access to information so that they can better serve our customers and the number two thing was we want to provide feedback and coaching and help our, our workforce get better. So those are the, the two areas where they really wanted to invest, which is terrific. And, and what we're seeing happen, and, and you can see this play out with, with a lot of our customers, is merely providing, you, you don't put someone on hold, right? You don't make them wait. It's got to be in the moment. And so we're seeing this this idea of real-time experience improvement and interaction happen. And so using things like speech analytics or text analytics combined with AI, you've got, I'm on the phone, Bala, with you, and we're talking through, and it can hear what you're asking me about. It's going to tap that NOGS base serve that information up in front of me. I'm going to be answering your question as you ask. And if I don't answer it the right way and you get a little heated, it can tell that your voice is getting a little louder or maybe there's a bit more of a pause and and serve me up as the agent coaching and, hey, try this, or maybe you want to offer Val of that. And it's really, it's so different. It puts experience management and improvement in the moment in real time, which I think is a, a game changer for how you engage with customers. And just, it's not about getting a survey feedback, which is still important, but improving things in the moment as you're talking to that customer and making that experience better and that engagement deeper. And, and, and coming back to what you said, understanding them. And if I'm not hearing them, I've got AI and, and a bot helping me interpret and understand better. It is amazing. I, I, I had the good fortune of running global call centers for 10 years oh. in, uh, early in my career. <laughs> and we used to have uh, experts walk the floor 
um, and listening to heated conversations and then trying to manually, person to person, provide in-process coaching, in-process training. You know, I had a hundred person call center. It's oh, yeah. not something you can scale to thousands no. or tens of thousands. To, to, so to be able to automate and have tone and sentiment analysis yes. and provide in-process training and coaching is absolutely a game changer. It's very cool. Absolutely a game changer. So it's really cool. Really cool. Sorry, Ray. I'm reminiscing. I love that my... you had that experience. That's very awesome. <laughs> Glory days of running uh, service and support. And I loved it. I loved it. I love it. that. No, no, it's, it's wonderful, right? And, and part of that is really making sure you have the right data, right? And, and a lot of data collection was manual, right? I mean, you're going around in nodes, followed and making that happen. And see, so like, I mean, for customers, like trying to do that manually stinks, right? And and we're living off that, you know, the engagement data management becomes really important. You're thinking about analytics, automating that capture process, and hopefully applying maybe some AI to get some scale. Um, and, and we're starting to see those kind of trends uh, take a role. So, so this has been really interesting. In your research, anything come out on that area around the data and that people should be gathering the, you know, the engagement uh, data management aspect of it that would be different uh, for folks? I don't, I mean, not specifically there, but I, but I agree with you. It's a huge challenge, right? Because as companies, as, as customer engagement works its way across the enterprise, you, you, it gets really complex gathering that data, connecting that data. And I think CIOs struggle with it, right? How am I going to pull together all of my interaction yep, yep. data, all of my experience data and construct this journey of, of what's going on. And it, it's, we, we're absolutely, that is an issue we are we're solving with, with engagement data management and it's so important. And then you see that intersection with CDPs and how you pull it together. It's, it's a really exciting area. That's awesome. Celia, uh, you have been an ardent supporter of women in tech. Uh, and of course, you've spent your entire career in tech, which is awesome. You're a role model. Uh, what advice would you give perhaps to CMOs in terms of the importance of uh, embracing diversity to strengthen your company, especially when we talk about automation and AI and all the biases that exist in this algorithmic economy where if you don't have a diverse population providing input, you could easily produce products that you know, unfortunately, have uh -huh. your company drift away from your core values. And then what advice would you give to, let's say, students in college looking to begin their career, how they can have the same success as you have becoming a chief executive in, in the tech industry? Oh, gosh. Um, first, I, I think it's a great topic for now, because when we think about the last year and what's happened with women, and I'm just going to throw a few stats out because of the pandemic, I mean, McKinsey reported, I think as, million, as many as 2 million women have considered leaving the workforce. LinkedIn just did a study, 60% of women marketers have either dropped out of the workforce or seriously considered leaving. Um, when we look at the job losses around the pandemic in the last year, they've been disproportionately felt by women. And, and so now, is a great time to talk about how do you support women in the workplace and beyond that diversity in the workplace because um, there's so many things that hinge on having having that right culture at an organization and, and the stuff you talked about with tech and ethical AI and bias that can work its way into 
to things. You, you, you need women and diversity in the workforce now more than ever. And there's been quite a setback in the last year. And so I, I would say uh, to fellow CMOs or, and just leaders in general, you've got, you've got power, right? Like you've got the ability to help your HR team get some of those things across the line, making sure that there's support for flexible work time, understanding of the challenges that people are facing today. Um, and model that behavior. Like it's not just about being able to say, you know, we've got to, like, a lot of time off or you can work flexible hours. Show people that you do it too and you're successful. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. And I think if if you're earlier in career or a student, I mean, I, I'm biased, right? I think tech is an amazing field. I think it is fast paced and I love it and it's changing and it's it's driving so much of what we do that I, I pursue it and push the boundaries and push push outside your comfort zone, right? Like I think it's that's the way you, you move ahead. That's awesome. No, that's definitely. Advice. No. That's great hey, advice nope. regardless of your gender. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. That's great. No problem. So, no. <laughs> but it, it speaks to empathy, what you mentioned. Yeah. In terms of being flexible, living your values, demonstrating Absolutely. your purpose. It's 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 common sense that diversity is a strength. So, and if you have empathy, you know, as 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 uh, Mr. Lindstrom reminded us, you can hopefully get to a common sense place. Sorry, Ray. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, but hey, Celia, thank you so much for catching us up on what you're up to, and uh, more importantly, sharing your insights. We're here with Celia Fleischhacker, CMO of Verant. You can follow her on Twitter at C F L E I S C H A K E R. Thank you so much, so for being on the show. Great to see you thank guys. You, thank you. You're terrific. Thank you very Thanks. much. Bye bye. We've had a streak of pretty awesome CMOs uh, that have been on our show, so we're pretty lucky. And now we're going to start our streak of awesome CEOs uh, on, on our show. Our next guest is Makita Mikado, Chief Executive Officer of PandaDoc. Makita is CEO of PandaDoc, formerly Coda Roller, a leading all-in-one software solution that streamlines the process of creating, approving, and e-signing business documents, including proposal, quotas, and contracts. As an entrepreneur, executive, and former engineer, Makita works on, speaks, and writes about running self-sustaining companies, doing innovative things in technology and business. You can follow Makita on Twitter at M-I-K-I-T-A-M-I-K-A-D-O. Welcome, Makita, to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Paolo. Hello, intro. <laughs> great. Great to have you. <laughs> Hey, we're really excited to have you. And I really want to start with a question. Like I read somewhere and I heard this story from another friend is you came to the US from Belarus and you took every freaking job you could take before you started a company from flipping burgers to getting out here. Is that true? So that's true. That's true. I've done, I've done, uh, done restaurant work. I've done, I've been a bartender. Uh, I've done cleaning. I've done uh, website design. Um, moving, name it, whatever paid over 10 bucks an hour, I did it. <laughs> I love that. The and hunger now, of an entrepreneur. Yeah. I know. And now you've actually built this awesome company. It's a startup in a space. What does PandaDoc do? That way people understand. I mean, you've gone from beginning to like a very, very small team and to a rapid growth over the last couple of years. So uh, every organization on this planet deals with things like contracts quotes, 
proposals, forms, and other business documents. We streamline workflows around those documents. We streamline creation, generation of those documents, collaboration on them, delivery to the customers, negotiation with customers on those documents, and then electronic signing and even payments wherever that uh, is appropriate. I like to say we take work out of document workflows. <laughs> yeah, but why Panda? Good, why the name Panda for PandaDoc? So you want a you want a true story or a marketing story? You got I want the true story, <laughs> not the marketing spin. All right. Um, so the true story is uh, we play in a pretty crowded market that got a lot of um, corporate, and uh, we you know we felt back in the day uh, boring sounding players, and uh, we wanted to be different. We wanted to build a simple product that. Uh, any business can adopt without involving an admin or an army of IT professionals. Wanted to be cool. Uh, uh, being familiar with some other uh, software markets, namely marketing automation, uh, we thought of uh, adding a mascot to our name. And we've uh, gone on a journey of finding the right mascot uh, Anything uh, from seals to uh, monkeys, and monkeys were overused uh, at the time, still are. You know, there's serving monkey, there's mailchimp, and so on and so forth. Pandas are black and white, just like documents. So we thought, uh, well, if the domain name is available, and it was, why don't we pick that one? Um, I love that. That's, that's how good, it became PandaDoc. There's nothing cooler than a panda. So well done with the Everybody loves selection. pandas, right? Everybody loves pandas. Everybody loves pandas. Uh, absolutely. In fact, in my family, Kung Fu Panda is probably our favorite favorite show for, for the family. So, so removing friction in the document workflow process makes a ton of sense. Uh, my, my company's research shows that for example, sales professionals only spend about 36% of their time actually selling. They're sales professionals. 60% of the time. Is, like, that's a group You know, love. dealing with, yeah. yeah, I mean, dealing with just um, a very highly friction-oriented environment. So, so tell us about what your clients uh, gain in terms of experience and productivity once they partner with PandaDoc. Well, you mentioned sales professionals. Um, I'd say most of the documents that get sent through PandaDoc, that get generated in PandaDocs, uh, are sales-related documents, sales contracts, sales proposals, sales quotes, and yada, yada, yada. So the teams, sales teams that use our software, experience up to 30% uh, decrease in time to close. Wow. The, yeah, that's, that's, that, that's, amazing. that's a lot, wow. right? Uh, they increase an wow. 18% uh, increase in uh, the number of deals that they sign. Every four seconds, uh, a deal gets closed through PandaDoc. That's not the only use case we serve, but uh, wow. we started uh, in sales. Uh, my co-founder and I uh, were fed up with uh, how much time it takes to generate a sales proposal, and then uh, we didn't know whether anyone really opened it or, or cared. We try to solve an internal pain. And uh, uh, through many, 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 many iterations, uh, we came to the vision we have today for PandaDoc. 
That's amazing. So but while Makita is talking to us in this 20-minute segment, 300 deals got closed through PandaDoc. There you go. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty awesome. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, go ahead, Ray. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, no. But but so, so we're in the middle of a pandemic, and how did business turn out? Did you see an acceleration? Do you see a decrease? Or did people say, oh, my God, we need to get this. We need to fix our processes. I mean, what, what happened for you guys? A lot happened, just like for anyone else. A lot happened for PandaDoc uh, during the pandemic and because of pandemic. First of all, we've seen we've seen the uh, the acceleration of what uh, has been happening prior to pandemic. Um, more and more organizations started to adopt uh, things like electronic signing. Uh, things like uh, automation of uh, contracts and proposals because now you can't really hand a contract to someone. You gotta you gotta use yeah. uh, something like PandaDoc to be safe. What we've also uh, what we've done when pandemic hit uh, is we decided to help the broader business community to. Uh, continue doing business safely and we launched a free electronic signing solution. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, because uh, end of March, we started hearing from our customers that things are getting really, really hard. And mm. uh, as they transition to remote, um, they need, you know, they need a solution for, for broader teams and for their customers and so on and so forth. So we thought uh, we got to got to do something, got to help, and uh, uh, we launched a free product, free e-signing product. And uh, uh, since March 2020, we've seen a great deal of adoption uh, of that solution. Over 200,000 users are now uh, using free e-signing with PandaDoc, um, sending. Now we're in millions um, of documents for electronic wow. signatures. Wow, that's a great example. We just talked about empathy, the fact that yeah. you and your company decided to help, knowing that you know there's a financial burden on a lot of businesses, small businesses, medium, large, all businesses during the pandemic. That's a great, that's a great thing that you did. What other lessons have you learned as a CEO of a growing company during the most difficult time in our lifetime? You know, I see a. Uh, a, a picture of a young, maybe perhaps a middle school graduate uh, behind you on the wall. As a father, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, can you share some lessons you've learned, um, you know, as we went through, again, arguably the most difficult time we've gone through in our lifetime? Lessons. Um, lots of lessons. Let's start with, uh, we've always uh, been keen on building a culture of transparency and mm. uh, a culture of sharing at PandaDoc. And uh, um, while we were benefiting from it uh, prior to pandemic, uh, post-pandemic, uh, post the time when we all had to go uh, and work remotely uh, and uh, shut down our offices, that, uh, that came extremely extremely handy um, and by transparency I mean we uh, we don't hide uh, 
we don't hide our strategy internally, we don't hide our data internally, we try to, we try to share and we try to do that so that everybody learns, um, everybody, uh, everyone within the company is engaged in the fields that uh, they have as much knowledge as, as I do to, to make an impact. Hmm. That really helped us as we, we've gone remote. Um, if transparency was not a part of Pandadoc's culture, hmm. I feel like uh, things, th things, would, would, things would have been harder. Um, another thing that um, we actually added to our culture code during the pandemic is, is empathy. We've talked about empathy today, and uh, we found that it's hugely important. Uh, it's hugely important when things get really hard, uh, when um, people get isolated, because um, everything that uh, the humanity has has been through over the course of the last uh, uh, twelve plus months uh, has a great deal of impact on. On, on our psychic and on, um, so we have we, we had to be empathetic and uh, yeah. that we have been, and uh, I learned that it's hugely important um, not just for for the company, for the world in general. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now you've got like worldwide operations everywhere from Tampa to, you know, Belarus, Minsk, uh, to you know Bay area. So uh, what happened when you guys went to remote work? Did that change things? Did you keep the same level of productivity? Do you have a good collabor collaboration? I mean, we've been seeing different results from different teams. Uh, some te some people are burned out. Some people are getting extreme productivity. Other folks are dying to get back to work. So where do you fit in that spectrum? Um, I'm not going to tell you that we've got remote and uh, it was awesome and we love it. <laughs> like, no, no. Um, some aspects of um, being remote are great for some people and some teams, but there are also a lot of aspects that, that make it really, really hard and uh, for people, for teams, for, for companies, uh, for kinds of businesses. And uh, uh, there are probably more um, obstacles, uh, which, is, which is why only you know, due to the pandemic, uh, many, many companies have chosen remote as, as, as a form of work. For us, um, so, I already mentioned that transparency uh, played a huge role in, in uh, weathering going remote. I think um, I think the ability to to communicate internally through multiple channels and uh, uh, and the intent of our team to to stay together to be together. Um, I, all those things played a played a huge role. I'll, I'll give you a, a pretty cool um, example of an initiative that was started by uh, one of our sales reps. Um, so she uh, launched uh, a Slack channel called Ripped Pandas, where uh, <laughs> we're split into little teams and we compete on uh, doing uh, on exercising. 
You exercise today, take a photo, and you post on that channel. Your team gets a score. And then you, you get basically to see what people do outside work. Someone went uh, cycling, someone else went uh, hiking, uh, you know, I go surfing, you go uh, skiing, and people uh, take photos of that. And it, it, it just, you know, a tiny bit, but it yeah. makes you feel connected to the greater team and, uh, you know, feel um, as lonely as, uh, you know, as, uh, as many other people that, that yeah. got put in their apartments during this difficult time. No, absolutely, absolutely. I can imagine a photo of you with a six pack on a surfboard. I don't have that. I don't have that. <laughs> inspiring no. panda dog everywhere. No, uh, I don't have that. You know, <laughs> one of the, you know, so, you know, yesterday I spoke to a dozen Salesforce customers, you know, all remotely. So, well, you know, I don't know if it's a silver lining, but certainly the volume of customer engagement for me personally has increased by order of magnitude. Um, uh, because of the convenience of just quickly jumping online and having a conversation. I do miss, you know, I mean, we're an in-person event company. So, you know, I, I absolutely miss meeting hundreds, thousands of customers throughout the course of the year under normal circumstances. But I have to say on a daily basis, I'm in front of lots of customers and partners. What do you miss most as a CEO not being in the office? Like what's, what, you know, what is it that you miss most? And, and what advice do you give to young CEOs, head of a startup, in terms of what they can anticipate uh, in the next normal and what they should be thinking about focusing on to ensure that they have the same success as your company? Uh, I miss people. I miss yeah. non-business interactions, um, hmm. just chit-chatting at lunch or playing Pong uh, <laughs> or having a coffee and talking about something. Um, that's what I miss. How do you get that back? I, I don't know. You get vaccinated and you get that back. That's how <laughs> that's the, that's the easiest path forward. And I don't really have any advice around that. Like it's so, I mean, how can you replace a, a human interaction? Yeah. Um, well, that being said, I also like, I enjoy not sitting in traffic, uh, so what we're gonna do at Hendak is uh, offer um, what we call a hoteling, hoteling option. Have offices, but also have an opportunity for uh, for people to, to work remotely. Um, and then we let you know we we'll let teams to to decide and, and figure those things out. And uh, I don't know if that's the right way forward, uh, but we're gonna test it out and we'll let you know. I, I think a hybrid approach makes, my company is doing the same. So you have a hybrid option of being in the office uh, full-time, being in the office part-time, or just being home full-time. So, I, I, and, and you're right. I think most companies, especially companies with a strong culture, they're going to experiment and they're going to find how, you know, uh, you know, how they get into the, you know, into the, best groove, get into optimal flow, uh, and then decide. But at the end of the day, I think flexibility is the way to go because honestly, none of us are experts about tomorrow. We have to just iterate our, our, our way back to, you know, back to something where everyone's happy and finds meaning in their work. So I, I, I think your approach is right. Ray, you're on mute. Yeah, so Makita. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Makita, think about this. Um, when we think about what's happening next, right, in the next, I mean, you started the company almost eight years ago. Is that about right? Right. And we think about what's happening in the next uh, five years ahead of you. Where do you see the company going? And, and what do you think will happen you know, as you close out, you know, the years? We're going to grow. We're going to grow. We're playing a huge market. Huge, huge, huge market. We'll continue growing. Uh, we'll continue helping businesses to streamline their document workflows to take work out of document workflows. We'll go global and uh, we'll continue growing our global teams, be that in the United States or Belarus or Ukraine or Portugal or uh, you name it. Uh, That's awesome. That's awesome. Expanding well, your we're here with. Yeah, no, expand the footprint. We are here with Makita Mikado, CEO of Panda Doc. Um, he's told us a story about what's happening, how they're growing, how they're changing the shape. And more importantly, you can follow him on Twitter at M-I-K-I-T-A-M-I-K-A-D-O. So thanks a lot for being on the show and thanks for sharing your story and say hi to Sergey for us. So Thank you, Makita. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks. Cheers. Empathy. Uh, I, I, that's that that's been the word in the first two segments. And our final guest, this is what we call the cleanup hitter spot. We'll bring <laughs> we bring a legend, and you know he or she hits a grand slam. And so our final guest for episode two thirty is John Furrier, co-founder CEO of Silicon Angle. John is the founder, co-CEO, and editor-in-chief of Silicon Angle Media, a new media company covering the intersection of computer science and social science. SiliconANGLE Media comprises of multiple companies, SiliconANGLE.com, Wikibon Research, The Cube Network, Tube365 Software, and CrowdChat. John's also the co-founder and CEO of CrowdChat, a social media platform for large-scale group conversations over hashtags. John's the executive editor of The Cube, Wikibon Research. <laughs> John doesn't sleep. He works 24 hours a day. He's got lots of amazing responsibilities. His vision is of a future that uses technology and data to create quality content and user experiences while creating and growing quality communities. You can follow John on Twitter at Furrier, F-U-R-R-I-E-R. -R -E Welcome, John, to the Shrub TV. Well, you know, you guys work harder than anyone I know, too. So I think you guys are in great company, you know, tirelessly putting out content. Ray, you're a legend. Val, you're a legend. Uh, great following. You've been there from the beginning, social media. You guys are awesome. And thanks for, for having me on Disrupt TV. Been it's been on my bucket list for a long, long time. Thanks for having me. You know, we couldn't find Ray, it. This is high. This is high praise <laughs> from from a, from a pioneer in the space. I mean, John was providing streaming media video content as early as what, 2010, 2010, 2011, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So a decade plus. Decade plus. So that's long high time. praise. Thank you, sir. Long time doing media. Backed into it. Ray knows the story. I mean, we, I I think we did the first video blog ever, you know, when Justin TV streamed this from his hat. I, we covered that. We were there with him doing podcasting in 2004, uh, blogging. That whole democratization web 2.0 wave was was the beginning. I think that's when, you know, I first met Ray Wong and, and started seeing this wave. And Jeremiah Oyang, who's now doing amazing work out there, I see him on Clubhouse all the time. He's we worked with me at Podtech. And um, you know, this is just a, a mainstreaming of what we all saw 15 years ago, which was that a new generation of of 
people are going to start shifting it. Look at the difference. I was just watching the founder of Reddit talk about, you know, um, you know, TikTok versus what was that startup Quibi uh, that was yeah, like had billions right. of dollars, all the best people. Right. You can't fight people doing selfies. I mean, like the thousands. And so the whole generational shift is here. This is uh, Steve Jobs called it the iPod generation before the iPhone. And then it became the iPhone. And I think now you're seeing, um, in my opinion, the full uh, torch being passed to a new generation. It's not even web 3.0. It really is a completely different and new evolution and revolution happening in media, technology, entertainment, and it's impacting every vertical and every market. Um, I guess this is called digital disruption that Ray Wang wrote about. So this is actually happening and it's happening like right now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we've got I worked with a pioneer. He did. He did talk about this five years ago. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but, but hey, you know, we've gone from content consumption to content creation. We've gone to, you know, um, you know, broadcast to interaction, right? These shifts are happening. Let's just talk about Clubhouse. I want to get your views yeah. on it because you're in there. You're in there all the time. You're studying the media. You know, you're basically, you know, one of the thought processes that people have been thinking about, like, you know, you know, how, how do we recreate John Furrier? And suddenly Clubhouse shows up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Clubhouse is a great app. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Clubhouse. The app is terrible. The back end is just a disaster. <laughs> um, and What's I broke that controls? story, actually. I broke actually broke that story on Twitter, um, ironically, at that as it happened. And, and Clubhouse had its, like, uh, I would call it the plane in the Hudson moment, where um, we were all on Clubhouse, and the Chinese essentially just shut it down. People in Hong Kong were being arrested. And Clubhouse at that time was a great outlet for people and communities to talk openly during this pandemic. So the pandemic really gave rise to the value of Clubhouse, which was people talking and finding their tribes. And then Elon Musk showed up, and then everything else happened. But I love the app, Ray. I think it's, it really is a unique microcosm of, of the radio format, the audio format, um, it's in the media mix. I think they cracked the code on engagement. They, they, you know, in digital media, the mix is kind of coming together now. You got, you know, the written word, the print, blogging, and now uh, social media with Twitter was kind of like a blogging on steroids. And now you got radio with Clubhouse, and you got video, obviously, with the Cube. What you guys are doing, you know, um, this app here, and more apps coming, more virtual events. So you're starting to see digital media establish its media mix. And I think you're starting to see standards emerge. Clubhouse is the first app that I've seen that's been as good as any app I've ever used from an engagement perspective. Um, uh, put, its, put its funding dynamics and the power dynamics around who backed it, uh, how bad the back end is. But people love Clubhouse. And like anything, there's a lot of crap content on it, but there's a lot of great people, clubs. Uh, they're kind of making some mistakes in my opinion, but I'm a big fan. Wow, that's great to have your point of view. We had Scott Galloway on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said there's three errors that significantly impact businesses and sectors and industries. He said the first error at, at, from a macro level was globalization. Mm -hmm. And then he said the second macro error was digitization. And he said, you know, the pandemic and since 2020, um, we've entered what he called great dispersion era you know, where you're disrupting the supply chain from the producers to the end users, where, you know, low friction, low cost and high value ultimately decides. And this is a purely decentralized and digital first uh, method of dispersion. And it's impacting the biggest companies in the world. He said the fact you could see Wonder Woman uh, stream the day it came out. And Amazon has been doing that in the book space and Netflix did that in the movie space. Movie theaters was an example. Uh, so in terms of media, when you think about this notion of dispersion, where 
frankly, every company needs to think about being a media company. You really need to have chief media officer. Uh, and in my opinion, perhaps even separate from you know standard corporate marketing, because it's not about the traditional four P's, and it's it's really about this new set of P's about you know being purposeful and passionate, uh, personalized uh, platform partnerships. What do you? How do you guide companies that are your clients in terms of how they can position themselves to really have media company capabilities, regardless of what sector they're in, whether they're a tech company or in retail or finance and so on. That's a great question. I think you're right on the money, 100% right on. Um, uh, Galloway's right on as well. I mean, he's been chronicalizing it. He's been a vocal advocate of this kind of disintermediation that's going on. And that's been classic disruption as well documented that happens, but it's happening at such a massive scale and such a wide range of breadth of verticals. The surface area of this disruption is everybody. So, you know, this is classic. And I think that's totally true. The direct to consumer, as some call it, or the media first, as we call it, strategy is not digital first, it's media first, but it's media is digital, media is data. Big fan of that. The work we're doing is with events now that the pandemic hit our business with Cube, virtual, virtualization, which usually was a tech term, you know, server virtualization created <laughs> yeah, right. VMware and right, VMware right. created Amazon with the, and, you know, Zen uh, hypervisor created Amazon. So virtualization actually is interesting dynamic. I think that's been disrupting a lot of enabled and a lot of enabling a lot of disruption. And so we, we've been taking a different approach to virtual and digital because we've lived in the physical world and we had to survive with virtual. So we created a line extension called Cube Virtual to do just that, to go direct to the consumer. But the idea of virtualization allowed us to do more interviews, extract more signal from the noise, meet more people, surface more voices faster um, and cheaper. So that ability to push content out there has been key. So my advice is to say, push as much content as possible out there and tell your story directly and disintermediate the middleman, which is going to change PR, it's going to change marketing, and the, the chief marketing officer is going to become the chief digital officer, the chief media officer, the chief user engagement officer. And so everything is disrupted, CRMs, ARPs, all aspects of those infrastructure stacks are going to be abstracted away with a new uh, layer of data, new layer of software, uh, and media is eating the world. And you're going to see that new wave hit. And that has not yet been discussed in mainstream. And, you know, obviously Andreessen Horowitz had, had that big memo, software is eating the world. Yeah. I believe media will be eating the world and you're already seeing it. And it's, there's no software, there's no operational model. It's all new. So with new, comes new roles, new responsibilities, and that has everybody sideways. That's why everyone's getting all these virtual event software packages wrong. Oh, just build the same as we do physically. Well, it doesn't work that way. So it's uh, you're either on the you're either building the better BlackBerry or you're building the iPhone in the mind of the customer. <laughs> so so most companies think, oh, we're gonna make a better event digitally. Nope, that's not the way it is. It's it's no. going to look more like Clubhouse. It's going to look more like this. It's going to look more like blogging. It's going to look more or community. Twitch. Twitch and mm. people. It's true people. organic democratization. And that's where the leads are. And that's where the nurturing is. These are all new patterns. So I've been kind of saying this again on Clubhouse and, and on, on the Cube. The funnel is turned sideways. It's horizontally scalable. It's not a vertical funnel anymore. Mm. So you're going to see a massive disruption and how that's engaged. Your previous guest kind of talked about it, 
But doesn't mean that the, the funnel is going to go away. It's just going to be infrastructure that's going to be abstracted away. You're going to see a new layer of innovation on top of MarTech stacks. And, uh, and that's what, you know, you're at Salesforce, you know this, you know, Slack is a great layer on with, with Salesforce, great addition. Things like that are going to happen more and more. Yeah, you're, no, dropping, a great point. you're dropping I mean, a lot of wisdom. Uh, I hope people are listening, rewind and uh, listen to what you're saying. Um, as a former chief marketing officer, you, you, you touched a lot of key, key focus areas in that last two minutes uh, of your answer. So great, great wisdom. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, you have a great point, right? I mean, we're going from mission and purpose to activating movements, right? And and that activation of movements is what's driving what's, what's happening. Um, the question is, what happens with events then? Do they come back? Do they look the same? Yeah. Do people still want to go to them? Like, where do you see that? I mean, you know, I mean, you and I hit all these events at the same time. I mean, are you starting to see like, you know, physical events come back in your yeah. you know, calendar? I just got, um, you know, going to see uh, Amazon probably reinvent be in person. Um, we have Mobile World Congress is going to be in person. We're going to be there, we think. Um, I know uh, Reinforce has got is another Amazon event. There's like four other events scheduled in the fall window starting to come back. 2022 should be a full year of events. Uh, that's that's going to come back. And the, all these event teams are going to then go back into the, the classic standards of events, which is physical spaces. That's a well-known standard. I think what's going to happen is then IT teams are going to pick up the virtual event window. So right now, all companies have an event team that they hire these companies, oh, build some software. And it's kind of like a bootstrap set of software, and they put it together. I think they're going to see the economics and the productivity of, of the economics of digital. They're going to think that's going to double down and they're going to be like, this is just too good. I mean, DockerCon's happening in May. They had 87,000 registrations that use our platform. I think they're going to hit that number again this year. Um, massive numbers. They never cut that in person. So this hybrid world is coming together and that's going to be a new dynamic, uh, big time, Ray. And I think that's going to be how communities are going to or get, or organize. And I think you're going to see a new kind of connective tissue. And I think marketers are going to start to look at this engagement and say, what is the ideal engagement with, you know, thought leadership and community and influencers? And you're going to start to see a really interesting new model develop around in person and digitally connected together in, in a moment. Because events are a moment in time, but media yeah. is the gift that keeps giving. So you're going to yeah. see media first strategies, not event first strategies. So yeah. I think that's a big wave and we're doubling down on that. Well, wow. makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, a couple of days ago, Wednesday evening, I was invited to a Time Magazine chief marketing officer event. There were 70 some odd CMOs of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, I, I think the Fortune 100 was very well represented at this event. And, um, you know, the, I would say the theme of the conversation was solely focused on the word purpose, um, how it's so important to articulate your purpose, your core values. Uh, and these are the CMOs of the biggest companies in the yeah. world, multi-billion global entities. And uh, so I want to take the conversation back to content. We talk about the traditional paid, owned, earned media. Uh, how important, and, and you're an editor-in-chief for a decade of successful media companies, multiple companies and multiple successful brands. What's your advice to a chief media officer or content officer in terms of the role of trust, purpose, values, uh, you know, stakeholder success in terms of guiding what type of content you should be creating in order to build lasting relationship based on trust, 
Uh, you know, a river without boundaries is a puddle. So what are the guiding principles in terms of the type of content you should be creating in order to have meaningful relationships? That's a really, that's a million dollar question right there for marketers. I think that's the uh, big one. I, my, my advice is simple. You know, we're in an era of authenticity where that's valued, right? People want to know where you stand. Um, that's been a tried and true editorial practice in journalism and, and reporting trust. And that's been eroded. I think, you know, we've been focused on free content and keeping it free. And I think our focus is to let people know where, where, where you're getting paid from. What's the, what's the angle? Well, people want to know what the story is. Like, where, who's incenting this content? Where do you, how do you get paid? What do you, what's in it for me? And, and or do you have an agenda? I think people are becoming very skeptical. So I think that in an organic space, you can succeed with a paid strategy to work with kind of trust brokers. And those are going to be brands, new set of influencers. Like, you guys do a great show and are very well trusted. I think you're going to see real influencers, not like as they're defined today, but new ones that are brokering relationships and trust. So that's going to be bloggers, publishers, podcasters, vbloggers, um, event organizers. You're going to start to see groups control the proxy of, of, of who's reputable. And I think reputation is super critical. And I think once people understand that their reputation's at risk and it's a group community dynamic, that's going to affect the, the decision on how to program. Because with social networks, we lost that closed loop nature of writing to the letters to the editor or, you know, yeah. feedback loop. So I think communities provide rapid feedback. So John, if someone right. head fakes someone, they know it's a, they're a loser or, hey, I don't want that. So marketers, don't do that. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't put out crappy content that's like putting lipstick on a pig or trying to head fake the customer. And that's why communities are winning. I think no, you're great, so right. The reputation point. is important. Authenticity is important. Legitimacy is important, right? Those are all the things that we're coming back to. And it's back to that trust, right? I mean, trust is the yeah. ultimate currency in social media. It's the ultimate currency in marketing. And it's really where we're headed. Now, hey, the flipping subjects here. Um, you've been in the Valley for so long. I mean, you and I have been here looking at, you know, seeing what's going on. You know, what, what is the new generation coming up with? Right. I mean, you know, we're, we're in, we're in, the, we're in our, like, I don't know, we, we, we might qualify for the vaccine. How does that work? I, I just qualified. I'm 55. So I've been around. I've seen the waves. Yeah. We're all old. Yeah. But this is good. I mean, the Valley's changed since I've been here 21 years now. And, uh, you know, the startup scene is, is different. I hear Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz talk on the clubhouse and they have their own show. You know, back when entrepreneurship, people slept under desks, it was, it was glorified to the scent of it was like fun. It was, a, it was a tour of duty and, and you built a company, venture capitals were heralded. Now it's very, um, become cosmopolitan, uh, certainly on the investment side. Now you got money, money and greed that goes to new levels with SPACs and, yeah. and different private equity dynamics of so the power dynamics and the funding has changed. You have kind of what I call the democratization. I call it the community college model of with Y Combinator when they came into broke into the scene, completely changed access to capital, which is phenomenal angel list. It goes on and on. I think that has set the table for what I call new generation. And I think it's like a hippie movement. That's my kind of vibe. It's like, <laughs> it's a new, it's a new anti-establishment um, uh, vibe coming. You're gonna. I think there's gonna be kind of this counterculture. That's my prediction. But for the most part, people just don't want to hear about boomers. Like for instance, you know, Discord, one of the hottest apps that I like, is kind of boomer proof, right? So it's kind of like you know, it's like most people are like, how do I use Discord? Like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Don't don't have, don't come in my club. So I think there's a whole generation shift of VCs and entrepreneurs that are looking at things that are completely different. They inherited this world. It's a lot of problems. Um, the world hates big tech right now. And I think 
that's going to be a very interesting psychology of uh, entrepreneurship and capitalism. So it's a totally weird environment, but I think I see kind of like them just breaking through that and being really positive. Again, uh, incredible wisdom, incredible. Uh, John, uh, my final question, take us a couple of years ahead, maybe three years ahead. You know, I, I, I don't know if I could have predicted audio streaming success if you had asked me to predict <laughs> a year ago or two years ago where Twitter spaces or clubs, yeah. uh, Clubhouse or others are going. But do you anticipate this real-time audio and video? Because it really is the best evidence proof point of authenticity. You know, you, you, you see the person in real time, you know, uh, and, and, and so, you know, there's more opportunities to make mistakes, to say things that maybe you didn't mean at the time. Um, so there's less polish. That would never uh, happen. A, G a GDPR for everyone. Delete that comment I said yeah. when I was drinking at 11 o'clock at night on Clubhouse yeah. that everyone's now recorded. Right. It's right, really not right, recorded. Exactly. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> Chinese yeah, are recording right. it. Uh, Chinese yeah, are recording uh, it. Yeah. But, one of the things I think that people appreciate, for example, with Disrupt TV, they know it's low production. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's L Ray and I, and you know we don't really. Uh, but 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 we we realized five years ago, much like yeah. you have, that when you bring great guests on the show like yourself, yeah, uh, it's really about the guests. Yeah. We just kind of sit back and for an hour we're on this incredible knowledge roller coaster ride. With people again in the last twenty minutes, you've dropped incredible nuggets of wisdom, uh, which is going to be a great blog for me. Uh, so thank you. Um, you know, what? Where, where do you see in the next couple of years? Uh, I think the people. Uh, I think the people side of this is going to grow. I've always said it's been, been a people-centric um, world uh, from day one, and people of the new web pages. I always said we're going to see stock markets around people. I think reputation's big, and I mentioned that earlier. But I think, like I've always viewed, like um, the work Ray's done at Constellation as a almost as a neighbor of ours, and we've always collaborated. I look at content producers not as competitors, but as collaborators. I think you're going to see a world where um, communities are going to be part of the new media model. And I think reputation and who you're hanging out with is going to be a social proof of signaling. So I think everyone's going to get into the business of streaming their life in some capacity. And I think that data is going to be owned by them. I think decentralized is going to be a big part of that. New social networks are going to exist because the current model of LinkedIn, Facebook, Clubhouse, these are like nightclubs. Like they're not really like a platform, right? And so I think you're going to see users become their own platforms and form with other people, like in video gaming, where your your clan or your tribe or your group or who you are. And I think once people realize that and there's an economic marketplace around it, that's going to happen really fast because more people are going to be producing content and that reminds me of the web when web pages came. More pages yeah. came, a search engine emerged. Next thing you know, there's a Google. So I think that is going to happen pretty quickly in media. And uh, it'd be very interesting to see how that all plays out. That, that makes a lot awesome. of sense. And by the way, thank you for reminding all of us that this is not a zero-sum game. It is about collaboration. It is about yeah. partnerships, about adjacencies, and, and co-creating value together. That was great advice. Thank you. Thank you, John. Oh, this is great. One of the legends of Silicon Valley, John yeah. Furrier, co-founder and CEO of Silicon Angle. And you can follow him on Twitter at Furrier. Hey, thanks so much yeah. for being on the show. And uh, thanks for having having us on your show frequently as well. Thank All right. You, great, great to chat. Thank you. Wow. Uh, uh, there was a lot of great advice and guidance from all three guests, but John really... Um, you know, uh, it was, was terrific. It was terrific. All three guests were amazing. So 
this was episode 230. Next week is episode 231. We have Kathy Hackle, futurist and author of The Augmented Workforce. We have Chris O'Hare, Vice President of Product Marketing and Salesforce and an author of uh, a book that speaks to the power of CDP, Customer Data Platform. And we also have the co-author of the same book, Marty Kahn, Senior Vice President of Strategy at Marketing Cloud Salesforce. And Marty, Marty has an incredible story and background we'll talk about next week. So that's episode 231 next Friday. Ray, closing remarks on episode 230. We just finished our 705th interview. You know what? It's getting exciting. I'm really excited that folks are seeing some optimism light at the end of the tunnel uh, with some great, interesting innovations from the pandemic. It's going to be what's happening in the post-pandemic that's going to take us to the next level. Um, maybe we will see the roaring 20s after kind of an interesting you know, false start, <laughs> but hopefully it's all coming. So hoping to catch up with uh, John later as well in the green room. So we're going to see a lot of interesting things. And uh, hey, thanks a lot. You know, Vala, anything on your end? Uh, the jobs report was great. You know, it's nice to see that we're at 6% unemployment and hopefully getting back to pre-pandemic numbers in the upcoming months as more folks are vaccinated and we actually get back to uh, what certainly will be a new normal, but, you know, hopefully more like uh, 2019 versus what we've experienced in the last 14, 15 months. So wow. I'm very optimistic and looking forward to the rest of the calendar year. Well, hope everyone has a great holiday weekend. Thanks for following us. You're watching Friday. It's, it's Friday. It's Disrupt TV, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, almost every Friday. And we'll stream to you live. So thanks a lot, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye, everyone.